0: Today's episode of Ringer FC is brought to you by Larry Wilmore, Black on the Air, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. That's right, folks. Emmy Award winning producer, actor, and comedian Larry Wilmore is back. Join Larry as he weighs in on issues of the week, interviews guests from the worlds of politics, entertainment, culture, sports, and beyond. On his latest episode, he was joined by Insecure's Issa Rae. So subscribe and listen to Larry Wilmore, Black on the Air, available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Ringer FC, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com, and I am joined with my midfield general, Ryan O'Hanlon.
1: I just signed my contract. I have a 500 million pound release clause.
0: Great. I will uh, check in with the Qatari Royal family, and we'll get right back to you. We will also be joined on future episodes by Micah Peters, who swears he is not protesting He just has a hamstring injury. Actually, Mike is in New Orleans. He'll be back soon, but he will be joining us regularly. We'll have other guests from the Ringer staff and beyond to talk about the world of football with us. Uh, Ryan, we were going to start this episode, this first episode. Oh, look, just a little bit about what we're going to try and do here is uh, we're going to try and combine kind of the advanced analytics world of soccer, the gossip and transfer rumors world of soccer, the overarching narratives world of soccer and kind of put it all together, for give something to people who are either already fans of the game or just getting into the game ahead of the World Cup. So hopefully something for everyone here. And we'll largely, I would say, be focusing on the Premier League, just Mm -hmm. because that is um, me and Ryan's passion. But we'll be talking a lot about international football, other European leagues, some MLS, and also some USMNT. So uh, no Arsenal talk, though. Sorry. Absolutely not. Um, Ryan, we were going to start this episode talking a little bit about headlines, and the biggest headline of the summer was Neymar. And Neymar's transfer from Barcelona to PSG. And we were just going to take a like leisurely stroll back through that and look at the ripple effect. And then the ripple effect washed up on our shore this morning. It was reported on ESPN, or ESPN Deportes to be specific, that um, Liverpool and Barcelona have agreed to a fee for Coutinho, for Phil- Philip Coutinho, Philippe Coutinho, Liverpool's mid- Brazilian midfielder, and that Coutinho would be on his way. To Barca. It would be the first big purchase that they have made since selling Neymar to Paris. This is a strange story because, as of recently, just a couple days ago, Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp had said he is not for sale. Barcelona should save their energy. That was a quote. This morning, obviously, those things are changing. And as often happens with these transfer stories, it's hard to understand the truth. It's what's kind of fascinating about these transfer stories. But there isn't. This isn't like Kyrie Irving says he wants to be traded, and everybody speculates about where he's going to go. Or you wake up one day and Paul George has been traded, and you can kind of break down what's happened. Some some media outlets are reporting this. Some people are tweeting about this. The Guardian's ba- barely mentioning this.
1: Yeah, the I don't know. I think the Guardian, BBC, are sort of our go-to. If they're if they're reporting something, then we kind of take it a little more seriously. And I think that's. That's what, that's how he felt about the whole Neymar thing. It always felt like... Felt unbelievable until the moment it happened. Um, you know, but this report has some specific details about the price, and... You know, uh, the Neymar transfer basically turned the soccer world on its head. Um, PSG got him for Paul Pogba plus Cristiano Ronaldo. In terms um, of transfer fees, yeah. Yeah. Um, and... Really, we didn't sort of have any idea what it meant because we'd never seen anything like it before until, I guess, the follow-up move happened. And it appears that Barcelona, with all of this cash, are now going after Liverpool's best player four days before the season starts?
0: Yeah, four days before the season starts, Liverpool play Watford this weekend. They have a two-legged Champions League first-round tie with uh, German side Hoffenheim. Barcelona is apparently, reportedly offering a base fee of 90 million euros and bonuses that could bring the deal to 120 million euros that would make Coutinho the second most expensive player in football history. Uh, This is the worst possible time for Liverpool to be losing their best player. Obviously, Ryan and I are Liverpool fans, but this sort of goes beyond any kind of fandom because what we're talking about is the transfer window and how the transfer window bleeds into the season and just how uh, detrimental it can be for clubs preparing for the season. Now, Liverpool don't really have a lot of room to throw stones (laughs) here because they've basically spent their summer trying to unsettle two other players from other teams in much the same way Barcelona is here with Coutinho. Their top two transfer targets were uh, Virgil van Dijk, uh, central defender for Southampton, Mm -hmm. and Navi Keita, a midfielder for Arby's Leipzig in Germany.
1: Yeah, so in soccer... In the NBA we there's this concept called tampering right tapping up yeah uh, and basically it's accepted that everyone does it unless you're like so obvious about it um, you're just not allowed to basically talk to a player who's employed by another team yeah um, which is in soccer it sort of makes no sense because to sign a player you have to sign the player in addition to agreeing a transfer fee and you can't you can't have a player sign a contract without, you know, initially contacting him. And you need to know that the player is interested before you put in your transfer fee. Um, and Liverpool has sort of, you know, I think they're... Liverpool are one of the wealthiest teams in Europe, but they're still below Barcelona, Man U, Man City, those teams. And I think the sort of tapping up process is kind of a way for them to get a leg up because Jurgen Klopp is a very charismatic guy, and I think he can convince players to come play for him. Mm-hmm. Um but it hasn't worked out so far, um, and it's left Liverpool. You know they've they've made their targets this transfer window really clear, right? They signed Mohamed Salah right at the beginning of the summer. Mm-hmm. Then it's Keda and Van Dyke. But there's no there's does not there's seem no to be plan, a plan B. B. Yeah. Klopp, <laughs> Klopp wants those yeah. two, and they're they're basically perfect fits for Liverpool's system. Yes, but if they don't get them, then he doesn't have a backup, and now. In addition to that, if they lose Coutinho, the squad is stretched even thinner. Right. And the season starts a little bit earlier this year because of the World Cup. Um,
0: the season starts earlier this year, and the two most important matches of their season happen in the next 15 days with these Ho- the Hoffenheim time. Yeah.
1: So, you know, we've been waiting to kind of see the the ripple effects, like you said, of the Neymar transfer. And Coutinho is not the second greatest soccer player of all time. No. I, I think as two Coutinho heads we would both say that he's not the second
0: best soccer player in the world I don't know where would you put him in the top 25 yeah I mean he's uh, since 2013 I think I saw this on Squawka he's one of the most creative players in the Premier League yeah along with Ozil Uh, they were intending to move Coutinho off the front line and bring him back into midfield a little bit more yeah uh, and you have to imagine that that is what Barcelona would want to do with him. Is to, he seems like he is being groomed to be the Iniesta heir? Yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense. There, this this transfer has, it, it, for as serious as it has gotten this morning, it has been talked about all summer, and there yeah. was some talk of uh, Ivan Rakitic coming back to Liverpool. Mm-hmm. I, I would love a world where soccer trades were possible, but. I doubt that Ivor Rakitic was like. I mean, I, I have did, did. He never expressed any interest in going to Liverpool. I don't know how there, easy or hard that is to get that. There are to no
1: no pirates of the Caribbean parties. Yeah. In also, I was not.
0: I don't know. He did a weird photo shoot where he dressed as Jack, Captain Jack Sparrow. Yeah. So I don't know if that really uh, disqualifies him from playing Liverpool. We want to get off the Liverpool transfer talk stuff, but this is all part of a larger story, which is that the Neymar transfer finally going through creates this pregnant moment where we're waiting to find out what the next domino to fall is there had been talk about Usman Dembele leaving Borussia Dortmund to go to Barcelona that that over the weekend sounded like oh Barcelona's made a 100 million euro mm-hmm. offer to Dortmund and it seems like it's going to happen again Dortmund about to start their their season they're playing in the German Super Cup against uh, Bayern Munich they're playing in the Champions League they don't want to lose one of the best young players in Europe mm-hmm. right on the do- the doorstep of the season Kylian Mbappe is still out there. Monaco has essentially been rated of all their other good players except for him, which is sort of a bizarre situation. Yeah. And then there is still talk about possibly Gareth Bale going to Manchester United. Jose Mourinho made a very strange comment about that, that if Bale is unhappy, he will be waiting on the other side. And you still have the Van Dyke saga going on. Chelsea possibly being interested in him now too. And Chelsea might want to Add a couple more players after the Community Shield, mm-hmm. which they lost to Arsenal. Um, I think it's, you know, it's it's interesting because
1: Barcelona has this influx of cash. So basically anyone they want is essentially worth more money to them than they would have been before because yeah. they have all this excess money. And Coutinho is obviously worth more to Liverpool than he is to any other team because he's such a, such a central part of the team. So it's like for Liverpool to get what they want for Coutinho, like, ultimately what his value is to them. Um, like, this is the ideal
0: situation for them to meet whatever price they had. Sure. Um, what, a, what about the argument that this bubble is just beginning and that you could get 150 for him next year?
1: It's, it's really tough to say because it's, you know. Um,
0: I mean, what if you hold on to him and PSG decides that he's the guy to pair with Neymar next summer?
1: I mean, I guess that's kind of the gamble you have to take.
0: Well, this is the thing I was listening, you know, this is the idea that that I think a lot of teams are going to have to reckon with, is this idea that there's a football bubble. And are you holding on to players that you could sell for a tremendous amount more the next season? Because there's only so many great globally recognized footballers, you know, and those guys now become huge assets because if teams like PSG are prepared to pay for the kind of price they paid for Neymar because and and have openly said like we'll probably make all this back on shirt yeah. sales and and other marketing tie-ins then your player if you are going to sell him is now you have to choose when to sell him as much as what his value is yeah it's
1: it's sort of like you're doing like advanced calculus mm-hmm. while you're like running the 100 meter dash essentially at this point because the season's about to begin now you have all of this money where it unsettles your best players, and now you have to decide, okay, do we, you know, is our priority this season? Like, do we are we trying to win a trophy this season? If, if that's true, you, you know, hold on to your players and sort of hope the bubble keeps growing. And if it doesn't, then you lost out on a lot of money. Or, you know... You say, this is a bubble, and we're never going to have this opportunity yeah. to sell this player for this amount of money, right. so we need to do it now. And it's it's impossible to know because, you know, historically, the transfer world transfer record sort of moves up incrementally, mm-hmm. and then it just got hit with a sledgehammer and is now twice the size. And it's just so difficult. I, I mean, I Klopp must be losing his mind. Well, you
0: hear over and over and over again from... Every team, we just don't know what players are worth. Yeah. You know, if it is, is Philippe Coutinho more than two times better than Sigurdsson? I would say so. Yeah. So, but the prices, uh, the, the quoted price for Gilfie Sigurdsson from Swansea to Everton is still hovering around 50, yeah. 50 million. Yeah. So, I mean, what is that? That's insane. That's mm-hmm. how do you, how do you calculate what someone like Coutinho is worth? How do you really calculate? how what Gareth Bale is worth. Is Gareth Bale 250 million?
1: It's I mean ultimately the answer is they're worth whatever the team that wants them is willing to pay. That's right. right? So like, you know, every summer we see this summer especially there's been a ton of defenders that have gone for record fees and we still, you know, these defenders aren't, you know, it's not Paolo Maldini like the legendary Italian defender. It's not these like sure thing elegant, incredible like, backline generals. Mm-hmm. They're these guys with a lot of potential, um, and they're going for this much money because a teams like Manchester City have a ton of money, and they need to fix their backline, so they're going to take a shot on Kyle Walker or Benjamin Mendy. And, you know, you don't, you can't, in the transfer window, there's no, like, what your transfer fee is doesn't correlate with, yeah. like, your ranking in the Exactly.
0: There's no PR that you know. know, There's no real plus minus that you take a look at. The funny thing about this, that defender market that you're talking about, I mean, you referred to two fullbacks, but for a lot of these bigger teams, you're seeing one of the issues is that you buy yourself a Ferrari to play central defender, and then you treat him like it's the last scene of Thelma and Louise, because you're playing such a high line because so many of these teams Mm -hmm. play these incredibly compressed pressing. Uh, defenses and demand such a high line that y- we don't even know what a central defender is really how good they really are because half of them are spending so much time in almost in midfield yeah
1: and it's it's so hard because you know is now I don't think you know if there's a sliding scale of how much defending a defender needs to do how much attacking a defender needs to do, probably what fifteen years ago and how was, much ball playing yeah fifteen years ago what would you say it was like eighty Defending 20 attacking. Yeah. Like, and that would be a progressive way of looking at it. Now, with some of these teams, like, your value is mainly in how quickly you can circulate the ball up the field. And, like, it's closer to 50 50. And a lot of the teams that
0: play out of the back demand that their center backs are able to play as almost as well as some of their midfielders with the ball at their feet.
1: Exactly. And at the same time, to function defensively, you have to essentially be like a free safety that Mm -hmm. can cover. So you have to, it's like being. Aaron Rodgers and having that touch, but then also being Earl Thomas at the same time, and it's like that is, I think, like we're pro- defenders are asked to do an. Impossible yeah, and that's job. why,
0: and that's why Cities spent so much on Stones is because Pep saw in John Stones or the, the C- City brass saw in John Stones someone who had the skills necessary yeah. to play in a Pep Guardiola system.
1: Yeah, and I think defenders, like you said then they get put in these situations where they get embarrassed, and it's easy to sort of be like, ha-ha, $50 million for this guy who just, you know, tripped over himself and right. is now face down Yeah, he's,
0: the a g- he's a gazelle with his legs tied together. Okay, let's uh, just quickly go through, uh, for, for this summer, I wanted to find out from you, one winner and one loser, non-Liverpool, from the transfer market from the summer. A couple winners, a couple losers, it's fine.
1: Um, I think the biggest winner in the Premier League is Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Um because the biggest weakness with this team was their fullbacks. Um, literally, I think a year ago, we were both like losing our minds about Pep playing Gail Clichy and Bakari Sonya as these things called inverted fullbacks, where your fullbacks kind of slide into the midfield and give you extra numbers in midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, the teams just can't understand really how to handle that. And we knew deep down that Clichy and Sonia were at best, like, league average players at this point. They were in their 30s. They weren't going to be able to do it, and they couldn't. And so City was sort of playing, like, playing last year, like, with the restrictor plates on or something. You know, they had these two guys on the outside that just, you hope they wouldn't lose the ball, basically, Mm -hmm. and then you hope that they wouldn't get isolated one-on-one, which, in City's system, that happens all the time. And now they, you know, picked up Kyle Walker, who... Again, the feed is not equate to where he is in the world hierarchy, but the guy's a freak athlete who can get up and down the field and can basically play a flank by himself, which is what you have to do as fullback today. Right. And then Mendy, who, you know, is one of the best young fullbacks in the world, might be one of the best fullbacks already. So they have these two guys that can just fly up and down the field and it's like replacing, you know, two aging veterans with these two like coming into their peak, coming, superstar, that's, and athletes. it's the key is is
0: where they got them. It's this coming into their prime age. Yeah. that they that they picked up. Uh, another winner for you.
1: Um, I think Manchester United too. As much as it pains me to say that, um, what
0: do you think of the uh, Nemanja Matich signing?
1: It seems like the ideal. Um, signing for them. Uh, a guy that Mourinho's going to play, which is like a weird thing you have to navigate when <laughs> buying players. Yeah. Um, even though Mourinho famously subbed him on at halftime of the game and then subbed him off, um, which is like akin to being cuckolded or something like that. Yeah. Um, and Matic is just such a good defensive midfielder, so solid that, you know, he lets he's going to let Paul Pogba and Andrew Herrera sort of be a little freer offensively. Um, Lukaku he's basically the best goal scorer of the past, you know, two or three years in the Premier League along with Aguero and Harry Kane. Um just fixes fills his Latin hole pretty pretty quickly. Um and this guy Victor Lindelof is the benefit of him is he's not Phil Jones or Chris <laughs> Smalling or Marcus Rojo. Uh-huh. Um so I think they sort of they had a lot of sort of they have a ton of depth, but they had a lot of areas. I can't wait for
0: the first big, big match that Mourinho is forced to play Rojo and he just two-foots some guy and gets a red card in the first five minutes.
1: <laughs> it's going to be great. Um, so they sort of, they fine-tuned a lot of areas that needed to be fine-tuned. Um, you know, they don't have the sort of world-altering signing that Pogba maybe felt like last year, mm-hmm. but
0: I don't I don't know if they needed it. Do you feel, so Matic came over from Chelsea. Do you feel like Chelsea adequately replaced him with Bayacoco? With their with their signings, I do not. I okay. think Chelsea and they also got uh, Rüdiger from from Roma.
1: Yeah, Rüdiger from Roma, and they bought brought back Christensen who was out on loan with uh, Gladback in Germany. Um, it, if anything, it's you know, Bayakoku is this sort of he's this new version of center midfielder that. Sort of moves the ball up and down the field by dribbling past people, mm. which is kind of scary. Um, I think for a lot of English commentators to see people <laughs> taking that risk. But the benefit of dribbling past someone, as opposed to passing it past them, you get past them and then you're looking forward yeah. at the rest of the field, as opposed to someone receiving the so ball. So would you
0: describe him as a as a creative, like a box to box guy, as a number ten, as a cre- as a largely creative midfielder. I think you'd
1: probably call him like a number eight. Sort of okay, shows so he's up. He's going
0: to partner with Conte. In, in, yeah, yeah, but
1: but he's very very different than. Matic, um, which is kind of weird. I, so I think that it's sort of, you know, there's a chance maybe he's this incredible, um, like, game exploding guy with the ball at his feet. Um, but Kante kind of is that all action guy that gets across the field it's already. It's like the
0: simplest, best pass possible yeah. every time.
1: Um, yeah. So I think the Bayakogo thing is like, at best, it's sort of you're just refilling the Matic hole. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chelsea last year they didn't have the Champions League and this year they do and they haven't they just haven't built out their squad at all um they've essentially replaced a couple people with younger guys that might be better, but we don't know that they're gonna be better and I think best case scenario, they're probably pr- reproducing the production of these guys but Chelsea needs more than that this season
0: yeah, so the, one of the things that um this bizarre transfer market, which is now no longer predictable and no longer understandable in a lot of yeah. ways has done is it, it, and, and and to some extent in summer's past we've always been overly focused on probably um, what the biggest name players are going for and where they're going and not necessarily about guys who could become those big names mm-hmm you know, you have to remember that, you know, all of these guys came from somewhere. You know, yeah. Alexis Sanchez was, was he on Udinese? Yes. You know, it's like, the, these guys come from somewhere. They have to be bought. And Suarez was a, a great player at Ajax, went to Liverpool, went to Barcelona. Now he's part of, he was part of one of the greatest forward lines in football history. The The idea of depth and the idea of, of building out a team that can survive through four, five competitions, you know, like all these competitions that these major teams need to play, Chelsea was so well-balanced and was such a well-oiled machine, especially in that undefeated run that, that that 11 wins in a row or whatever they had in the middle of the season that really sort of won them the title, that any tinkering feels strange. Yeah. But now that they have Champions League, like you're saying, Mourinho always used to like to have two world-class players at every position. That yep. is a dream, obviously. You know, I mean, he was dealing with Roman Abramovich's new money. Roman Abramovich, whose divorce was announced yesterday. Uh our it, thoughts are with him. It's really <laughs> strange. <laughs> so are Louise Luis Menches. Uh, <laughs> it's really strange to watch these teams and think, you know, you guys are really... And that, that, that's another Liverpool thing. They didn't really add a lot of depth. Mm-hmm. Had this idea that these teams are not building a lot of depth. In some ways, I actually think Arsenal did quite a nice job putting guys who we, you know, maybe aren't, like, five-star names, with the exception of Lacazette, but they seem to have, like, strengthened in various departments in their side.
1: Yeah, it's, tying it back to the transfer market, it's, you know, when we talk about building depth, we don't mean just signing, like, a random guy. You want a guy that's essentially going to step in, not start every game, but, like, be good enough to keep your team at a Champions League level and a competitive Premier League level. But so thinking about how much these guys cost, it's like, then you're spending... $40 $40 million on a backup striker, you mm-hmm. know, and I feel, I think that is probably a thing that a lot of teams still can't wrap their head around. It's like, if you're signing a starter, a big name, it's like, you can easily put this money on this guy, um, but like, getting a backup left back for $30 million is kind of a, it's just a, it's still a mind-boggling thing, but I think you're right with Arsenal, the issue with Arsenal is that they don't have the Champions League this year, so, you know, is this the year they needed to build out their depth, or is this the year they needed to sort of add to the top and sort of go for the Premier League trophy?
0: One of the teams that did essentially remake their team was Everton. And I you know, I'm trying I was trying to think of a precedent for what they did this season. it's It's not unprecedented, but they did they took money from their new ownership that they've got. And they spent it on basically trying to improve every part of the team. And they spent a lot of money on Jordan Pickford uh, uh, as a a keeper that they're hoping will probably be their keeper for the next 10, 12 years. They bought Michael Keane from Burnley, a center back, for 28 million euros. They bought Sandra Ramirez from Malaga. They brought in Rooney on a free, but will probably be paying him pretty high wages. What do you think of the amount of... The 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 volume that Everton worked with, and they got it all done pretty early.
1: I think getting it done early is always a sign of a team that sort of has their shit together. At least knows who they want. Um, I think the big story with Everton is that <clears throat> a handful of these guys are now the highest paid players in Everton, and we can never we never get the specifics of a team's salary structure, but it looks like Everton is going to have a higher wage bill than Tottenham. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> heading up into the, heading into the season, and over the course of the Premier League, the biggest predictor of success, <clears throat> literally the biggest, the h- highest correlation with success, is how much you pay your players. So, like based on that, Everton is doing the right thing. They're sort of whether they can keep. So they're doing
0: paying it, Davy Klaassen m- more than Harry Kane,
1: Yeah. Or as yes, okay. and Rooney, um, and that. If they keep doing it, presumably that leads to their team being a better team. Right. But, you know, looking at these players, it's like Michael Keane, would he start for any of the top six teams? I don't think so. Jordan Pickford, maybe. Davy Clausen, definitely not. Sandra Ramirez, like that's a uh, high upside signing. But still, even there, like Wayne Rooney... the less said the better probably Um, so they're it's ultimately a good sign that they can spend all this money right but to me it's like they're not spending it on guys that are gonna you know push them to the next level maybe that doesn't matter maybe consolidating 7th place is actually a worthwhile thing at this point Um, but it's like you know it it kind of is like a chicken or the egg thing you know
0: I want to ask you about Tottenham then so Tottenham has been equally praised and critiqued for the perceived lack of action and this is a club that has uh, their chairman this is this guy named Daniel levy who is a notoriously um, hard bargainer <laughs> he drives drives a hard bargain and often waits till very late to get his business done um, is one of the kings of the end of transfer window deals uh, they had starting 11 one of the best starting elevens I would argue maybe even in Europe, you know, I mean, in terms of their, that just the starting 11. They suffered a couple injuries down the stretch, Eric Lamella, um, you you know, they they weren't able to sustain their title push. But they come into this season, another season of Champions League, they lost Kyle Walker, they replaced him with Trippier, but Trippier got hurt. Um, What do you think of them just saying, you know what, we like our guys? I think it's
1: it's an honorable way to look at this, but just from everything we know, like not losing depth is just never a good thing when you're in the Champions League um, and fighting for the Premier League title. I think you're right. I think Tottenham has, they probably still have the best 11 in the league. At least they have the the clearest starting 11 Mm -hmm. in the league, which there's a ton of value to that. And, you know, like it's not soccer is an extremely complicated game where people are using their feet and there's 22 people on a field and you have to kick a ball into a goal. Like, it requires a lot of coordination to do that successfully. Sure. Um, And the longer you do it together, the better you get at it. And
0: and that the fact that these guys all seem to be coming into their primes together or in their primes together is valuable.
1: Yeah, and I think there's... So there's value in the cohesion and then there's value in all of the players getting better also because of their ages. Um, But... You know, it's it's still if Harry King gets hurt, like what happens? You know, it just feels like there are a couple players that there's just really no plan B if something happens to them. Um, if Musa Dembele isn't playing, the team changes totally. And I think now, I think Danny Rose, I personally think he's better than Kyle Walker, um, and I think you're in good shape. If you have him on the field. I think if he gets hurt and it's Trippier and Ben Davies who is still probably having nightmares about Sadio Mane. <laughs> um, if they're both on the field together, it that that's a tough situation to deal with. So I just feel like they they're just giving themselves a really tiny margin for errors. We should say they they haven't signed anyone okay. yet. And, and they t- let
0: Josh on Onoma go out on loan.
1: Yeah. Um and the thing you said earlier Tottenham has always been very good at signing these 20 21 year olds right before they blow up Luka Modric Gareth Bale they're not even doing that currently right um, so it's sort of hard to see where the the growth comes
0: well given who they have i'm almost i almost think that they should be happy to keep the team together. You know what I mean? Yeah. They have this hard wage structure. That's true. And given how attractive Deli Ali, Eric Dyer, Christian Erickson, and Harry Kane must be to some of these bigger clubs, I'm almost shocked that they have not had to deal with a 150 million euro offer for Ali.
1: Well, we should we should say that the, all the guys in Tottenham just aren't making as much money as any of the other top six teams, I guess we should say now. Right. Um, or top seven teams, counting Everton. Um, And they're not making as much money as they can make at Barca, Real, PSG. Um, So it is, it is kind of incredible that they're all still together. Um, So it's, you know, it's, again, it goes back to that tiny margin for error. It seems like they're not going to be able to keep them all together forever, right? Like, there's a very tiny chance they all stay at Tottenham and are like, this club matters to me more and, You know, we're getting this new stadium, and we're now in the Champions League all the time, so my salary can go a little higher. But I think it's more likely that a couple of them are like, I can make double this amount of money and be on a team that is maybe better. Um, So, you know, it's it would be great if they could just grow their team together and keep them together forever, but that's just... It's not how it works.
0: Yeah. Well, this may be the last year that that core is together. We're going to take a quick break uh, f- to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll be back to talk about predictions for this Premier League season. Today's episode of Ringer FC is brought to you by House of Carbs. Are you hungry for a delicious new food podcast? If so, you should check out House of Carbs, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Each week, noted food enthusiast Joe House. Is joined by celebrity chefs, critics, and other heavyweights in the world of food to weigh in on the latest trends in cuisine, essential items to cook, and must-visit restaurants. Of course, the pod meal includes a food news course with Ringer's own Juliette Littman, and the menu also contains weekly visits with Ringer friends and family to cover their strong tastes and juicy takes. So whether you're a fine diner or a fast foodie, subscribe and listen to House of Carbs, available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Ryan, we are back. Let's just quickly run through some Premier League predictions for this season. Uh, Give me your top six.
1: Top six. I think this is the prediction I'm most confident in. I I think it sort of can go a number of different ways beyond this, but Mm -hmm. I think City winning the league is actually the most confident I am in any of the things I'm about to say. Um, Last year... um, their sort of underlying numbers were the best in the league. Um,
0: You're th- going to say underlying numbers, yeah, three I'll or three or four thousand times over the next couple so, months. Can I'll you explain? S- what do you, what do you, yeah, what do you so,
1: mean? So essentially, in soccer, the more you shoot, and the less fewer shots you give up, the better you are. And then you can drill down from that and sort of ascertain the quality of the shot, right? Right. Um, so are there, there's this thing called expected goals, which is you know these historical models that kind of see the percentage that of the time that each shot goes in, mm-hmm. and then they add it up. So, like the the simplest way to look at it is this: like a shot from outside the box has about a three percent chance of going in. But it looks awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I, I it should be worth two. Is what <laughs> we're saying. A shot from inside the box, but not inside the six yard box, is like a twelve percent chance. And a shot inside the six yard box is a thirty percent chance of going in. That, that's just like a crude way of looking at it. Um, so expected goals. City had the best attack and the best defense in the league last year. So what happened? Um, one explanation could be luck, okay. bad luck. I right. think City were unlucky. Um, they had a terrible goalkeeper. Claudio Bravo had one of like the worst goalkeeping seasons of a top keeper. Um, and then I think the way, like we talked about earlier, at playing a pressing system with such a high line when you give up shots, you're not—teams the teams are getting these shots because they're breaking through your press. So there are fewer players behind the ball, right, when you shoot. Mm-hmm. While if you're playing with a deeper line, if you're giving up a shot at the top of the 18, maybe there's six players behind it. Right. But against City, maybe there's three. So I think it's a combination um, of those things. And like I talked about earlier, the team just has so much more depth. It's another year with Pep. Um, I think they're going to see a bounce forward in luck, probably. Um, and they don't have Bravo anymore, which is like any keeper they could have signed. We don't know how good this guy, Ederson, they signed is going to be. But like literally, basically anyone they could have signed would do better than Bravo did last year. So I think all of those things taken together, I think they're kind of the clear favorite,
0: actually, in my mind. They bought Benjamin Mendy, Kyle Walker, Bernard, Bernardo Silva from Monaco, Ederson... From Benfica, Danilo from Real Madrid. Ugh, man, this is a good team. Um, Bernardo Silva. What do you what do you think of Bernardo Silva?
1: I think he's sort of he brings something a little different than all the other attacking midfielders they have. Now the, they have the, like than
0: the, the David Silva. St-
1: yeah, I think he's a little more like proactive. I guess is how I would okay. describe it. He's not like a big goal scorer, but he's a phenomenal passer. Um, can cut in from the wings. Um, I've seen him compared to like playing the Messi role in the early pep days at okay. Barcelona on on the outside. Um, it's just like, a, it's another, you know, Bernardo Silva would start for most of the teams in the Premier League and he might be like the fifth option across the attacking midfield for City and that's the depth we're talking about, right? I think they're going to, like City is going to, they're going to just absolutely destroy all of the bottom half of the table teams in the Premier League this
0: season. It's about what they can do against the top the other five teams with them in that upper group. Okay, so City number one. What do you have number two?
1: I think United. um, Which would be a four-spot jump Mm -hmm. for them. Um, I think like I said, they sort of fine-tuned a lot of the squad. Um, I think the sixth-place finish is a bit of an illusion because Mourinho essentially punted on the last two months of the season. For Europa
0: League. Um is that is that right?
1: Yeah. Uh and I think another year another year of Pogba Pogba's going to like blow up this season. Um and I guess it, if
0: we just keep saying that it'll happen. We we've, we've been doing that for about 12 yeah, months we've now. Yeah, we
1: completely yeah, we we're the ones that we're the reason why people don't like Paul Pogba. <laughs> um and I think I think United has a They're just so deep, and Mourinho second season. Mourinho is essentially always a title winning team. I think, like for what
0: it's worth, uh, as as an amateur Mourinho watcher, especially during the summers, this has been the summer where he just seems like cocky and very happy with his team. Yes, and there are summers where he lowers expectations because he just arrived. Then there's the second summer where he's like, "We're really good. I got the guys I wanted." I'm ready for more guys if they want to buy them, but I'm pr- I'm happy with the team I have. And then the third season, he starts to be grouchy. Now, he says he wants to stay at United for 15 seasons, great, but this is just, if we're following the trajectory of what his teams do, they will at least be much better. I have them winning the league based on nothing other than just a feeling, but exactly what you're saying, you know, this idea that this is the team he wants to play.
1: Yeah, and it, it's weird. They although they finished 6th last year to me they feel like there's not like that much variance in the outcome for united they seem like a they're not like the bottom isn't going to fall out mm-hmm. with this team so I, i'm pretty confident they're going to finish in the top 4 at 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 the very least um, third go for it people are never going to listen to this we just, podcast again just say again. the name Liverpool. of the team <laughs> okay <laughs> um i think you know they have the highest highs of probably any team in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, they just dominated against the top six. And I think Klopp has probably spent the summer trying to figure out how to score against Burnley. So I,
0: you told me that yesterday before their best player was about to be sold to Barcelona, though.
1: Yeah, uh, that, I'm still, it hasn't happened yet. So some of that is baked into it.
0: And the other half is that you really think Ben Woodburn is the next coming of
1: Zidane? Yeah, I think Ben Woodburn <laughs> is the next Zidane and Ryan Kent is... Uh, the next Ronaldinho. Okay. Um, fourth Tottenham. Um, again, they, they've like points wise been the best team in the Premier League over the past two years. Um, they're really good. They might have. They, they had the best goal differential in the league last year. I, I don't see them falling out of the top four, five. Chelsea.
0: When's the last time a team won the title and then finished fifth for you?
1: Um. Finish fifth for me.
0: Like, do teams often win the title and then fall out of the top four? I mean, aside from Leicester
1: and Chelsea the year before, that's true. This is the new modern reality. Um, I I think typically no, but now we have this sick top six. Um, So there's
0: going to be. You think there's could be some variance then? Yes, I do.
1: That's a great great use of the word variance. Thanks. Um, And it's what I said. I think teams probably started to figure out. Chelsea's formation toward uh-huh. the end of the year last year. That was a big boon for them. We don't know if Morata is going to be better than Costa replace his production or whatever. Same with Diakoko, And they just, they have the Champions League. Um, so I think...
0: I mean, they're going to be a different team. Murata is a much different striker than Costa. Yeah. It, it, both in temperament and in style. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, there's a chance he's
1: incredible. Um, he, Whenever he plays, he scores and creates goals, but he just... He's never started consistently for any team, so we have no idea what that's going to look like. Right. Um, and I think there's possibly some Conte burnout too. Um, and then sixth, Arsenal. Okay. Do you want to explain why? So I think Arsenal. You know, we talk about underlying numbers. They were the they were by the clear sixth best team last year okay. in that regard, um, and they sort of needed to improve more than any team to sort of get back into the top six top four um, and I just don't quite feel like they did I think they sort of added on the fringes but I don't know how much that's going to help them this year um, and we have no idea if Alexis Sanchez who's you know one of the three best players in the Premier League we, have, we don't know if he's going to be on the team um, come the
0: start of the season I mean I think he probably will but that's still still up in the air if anything I, you know testing the resolve of these teams in the transfer market in some ways Arsenal have the least amount to lose by holding on to him
1: I agree. They have that's because the, the
0: alternative is very dark. You know, it's I, it's, it's being out of cha- the Champions League for the second re- year in a row.
1: I agree. I mean, I think there'll be some benefit to them not being in the Champions League. But the thing with Arsenal is, this is feels like their time to go for it. You know what I mean? Wenger is gone in two years, probably. I mean, who knows? <laughs> um, but they they just haven't really went out and sort of. Mark that down and signed like another superstar or tried to do that. Um, it seems like they're kind of treading water from where they were last year, which would leave them in sixth. Okay. I
0: think. I'm going to ask you to do a little quick hits uh, as I go through the rest of these predictions for okay. you. Okay. And for what it's worth, I have the same, uh, largely the same top six as Ryan, except I have uh, United city, Chelsea Spurs, Liverpool and Arsenal. Sorry, Arsenal, uh, team that will go furthest in Europe
1: it was liverpool before today because of just because of how good they are against good teams mm-hmm. um but with the coutinho news news um i think it's city i just think they're that good
0: okay mid tier team that will improve <laughs> i think southampton
1: um <clears throat> how come they they're sort of one of the smartest teams in the league always kind of losing guys and replacing them and always making <laughs> <managers>? money yeah. <laughs> replacing managers each year um And I think they were sort of unlucky based on their numbers last year. They scored 17 goals at home, which is like an insanely low number that's not going to happen again. Um, So I think just based on that, they're going to have sort of a bounce-back year with their finishing. Um, I think they could challenge Everton for seventh despite sort of everyone
0: writing Everton in as the seventh-best team. Was the mid-tier team that you think could sink?
1: I think Bournemouth. Okay. um sort of for the exact opposite reason they had underlying numbers of like a relegation level team um they haven't really it, to my mind built up the team to sustain big signing a was Nathan Aké from uh who's from good Coastal. i yeah. think that that's a good signing you know but last year they bought Jordan Ibe from Liverpool and that just went spectacularly poorly um and they're kind of the club that can't Make a big money signing they can't screw and have up it a fail. 15 million euro things. Um, yeah. So I think they're they finished ninth. I, I they might be in a relegation fight this year, I think. Do you have a bottom three? Yes. Burnley. Um, we'll have to say goodbye to our our good friend. A- one one day. Possi- yeah. yeah. One day possibly friend of the pod, Sean Dyke. <laughs> we can only hope. Um Watford, I thought they were bad the second half of the year. I don't see them getting better. Um and I can't, I can't pick Huddersfield because our ringer contributor Tom Payne is a uh, tactical analyst for them. So I, I can't sell him out, so I'm going with Brighton because um, I think one of, at least one of the three promoted teams I do think will Newcastle get, stays up. I think Newcastle's going to finish in the top half.
0: Except if Rafa decides he, that, that, that he wasn't, didn't get the money he was told he was going to get and he just walks off.
1: Yeah, if Rafa leaves, put them in for Brighton.
0: Uh, player of the Year
1: um Pogba I think he this is the year that he like everyone in England sort of is like okay this guy is just better than everyone else at this position um he hit the post and the crossbar a ton last year a couple of those go in if he has you know a 12 goal season 8 assists from the midfield United challenges for the title um Modich is going to free him up to do a little little more on the attacking end. I think I think it's going to... this is like his sixth coming out party. Yeah. For my for my <laughs> money I'm taking Deli uh young player of the year. That it's Deli yeah. Um he's won it 2 years in a row. Somehow is still eligible for it. Um I'm going Gabriel Jesus. Because they're giving player of the year to Ollie, so they won't give him young player. Yeah. Um why do you think Gabriel Jesus?
0: I just think he looks outstanding. He's coming back from injury, I know, but I just he seems like he was built in a lab to play forward for Pep Guardiola.
1: It's it's not fair that City can like, quote unquote, overspend on Kyle Walker and then like get this guy who looks like a superstar
0: for not that much money. One team our listeners should watch from outside the Premier League and outside the usual suspects, and not Bayern or or Real or Barca.
1: Napoli. Okay, why? Um, I think they play the most exciting uh, brand of soccer in Europe. It's like everyone on the team is connected by a string. Hitting a long ball to no one is like anathema. You get pulled off the field. Um, they try to play out of the back no matter how much pressure there is. And it's just like it's like the ball is like sort of magnetic, basically, the way it moves from each player. Um, I'm doing a hand motion that none of you guys can see. Um, but it just goes up and up and down, and they're so good in possession, but they have this like vertical impetus that you don't typically see from teams that dominate possession like that. Yeah. Um, Dries Mertens, who's, you know, now 30 and one of the lesser heralded Belgian players, was one of like the five or 10 best players in Europe last year, statistically. And then this midfielder, Jorginho, um, Completed 179 passes in one of their games last year, <laughs> which is just—I uh, don't think I've ever done anything 179 times. Wow! Um, so they're—they're they're the most unique and like breathtaking team to watch.
0: If uh, so, Giorgino, but we'll, we'll give me another player our listeners should track from outside of the usual suspects.
1: Um, Nabil Fakir from Lyon. Mm. He was sort of the, you know, 18th next Zidane. A couple of years ago, sort of blew up, um, had 13 goals and 9 assists, played as a number 10. Deschamps, Didier Deschamps, the France manager, built their formation around him in a couple friendlies, let him play as a number 10 and protected him with like three defensive midfielders. And then he tore his ACL, missed the entire season. Last year sort of was getting back back with the pace. Um, and now Lyon has kind of sold off a lot of their stars. He's the captain. Um, he's only 24, and it kind of—I always like players like this where it's like France feels like they've already passed him by with mm-hmm. this new generation of Dembele, Martial. Um, but he's only 24, and Lyon is sort of his team. World Cup's coming up for him; it's like a fight to get on the France team. Sure. I think he's going to have a big season.
0: That's a, that's awesome. Okay, we'll take we'll keep an eye out for him. Uh, very quickly, uh, as we get to the end of this long podcast about Europe, let's talk a little bit. About the USMNT, who had a very successful Gold Cup run, obviously, um, but I wanted to ask you mostly how you're feeling about Christian Pulisic right now.
1: Hype level five hundred, yeah. on a scale of one to five, yeah. Um, it's I think so. This is the the progression in the P- Pulisic scale, I guess. Last year had one of the best seasons as an attacking a young attacking midfielder in, like, the past decade. Um, but we still have the young thing attached to it, the yeah. young qualifier. I think next year, the year after that, that's where he becomes, like, one of the best players. And the young thing doesn't matter. All, the, all that young means is he's going to be worth more um, on the transfer market. Um, he's, like, he's the best American player I've ever seen already. Um, he's the best American player there is right now, um, and seems he's like he's getting get more
0: of a, a of a, a highlighted role under under the, the new Dortmund yeah, manager Peter Bosch yeah.
1: from Ajax. And Dortmund's the perfect team to play for. It's they put they ask a lot of of their attackers and sort of make them as efficient as possible. If Dembele leaves, I think Pulisic takes an even bigger. Um, bigger role with that team, too. Okay,
0: That's something definitely for USMNT fans to keep an eye on. All right, we will be back next time to talk about the Premier League and leagues beyond. We'll try and hit some uh, European leagues as we go on, and obviously keep an eye on MLS and USMNT and international football as we get you ready for the World Cup next summer. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Chris. we we'll back next time.